Hiya. Welcome to another episode of Zero Ambitions, a podcast about sustainability and the built environment. This week, we've got another episode all about finance. I'll not belabor the intro here. The episode starts with Jeff and me bickering, in which I sort of do the intro anyway. Like I said, it's all about finance, how sustainability projects get funded, you know, how the capital is raised, how the finance side works, what's important to it or them, however we want to characterise it. What's important to capital? Anyway, we found it really interesting. Hope you do too. Cheers. Okay, now Alex, um, uh, uh, which uh, we're, we've got two Alexes here, yes. but I, you know that's fine. Um, girl Alex and boy Alex, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just patronise them both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alex one and Alex two. You know, we need to raise the hand. <laughs> yep. So, um, um, Alex, uh, this is Alex. You can work out which one I meant. I don't think it matters. I'm not, I'm not sure there. So okay. did everyone get the notes I sent across last night? Yes, thank you very much. I didn't read them. Didn't read them. No, I uh, think, uh, Jeff, just in case I forget to mention the smarter who you'd like to why don't, why don't we start that? I mean, one, so one Jeff, way... Jeff, Jeff, open up that fucking email so you can see the running order rather okay, than just making okay. it up. Okay. I mean, would it not make sense for me to... have each other for a very long time, okay? So I'm used to this. This oh, is... Yeah, it, it's fine. Listen, it's... Uh... It's their the, the way of saying their love for each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Yeah. Um, we went we went to university together. We started the magazine together straight out of uni. And so it is quite remarkable. Jeff is one of the most authoritative and respected figures in the green building industry in Europe. And yeah. I have no respect for him whatsoever. Focus <laughs> <is> my buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Jeff, the running order is like we introduce Alex, and then you get to say how you met her on the Smarter Project. Exactly. Right. Then okay. we go into talking about how Alex came to be working in this space at all. So her journey from finance. Then we talk about buildings as stranded assets, touching on a bunch of the different points that we discussed yesterday. Then we okay. talk about how she has seen evidence of markets changing already. Then yeah. we talk about how that is manifesting in the way approaches to development are changing. So referencing the multi-purpose rather than single-use design. And then we can do slagging off all the accountancy agencies who are muscling in on the space who aren't as good as we are, all of us. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm up there. Everybody knows who they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep, you keep praise specific and attacks generic, you know, um, th that makes sense. Alex, thank you for joining us today. It is a full house. So me, Dan, Jeff, and our Alex as well. We are here with Alexandra Hidesu, is that yeah. how I pronounce that right? Pronunciation, thank you. <laughs> I and I am English. I don't know if you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> even even right. if you get the pronunciation wrong, Dan, it's you. You the English have a way of making their their incorrect pronunciations be the ones that stick. You yeah. know that's why loads of the place names in Ireland, uh, like Phoenix Park, for instance, one of the biggest parks in Europe was Fionishka Park, which means freshwater park, but it changed name completely because some murderous uh colonial types came along uh, and decided so there you go alex whatever whatever dan says your name is is what it is okay um, well, Soak it up. <laughs> <laughs> look i'm from the north we were oppressed as well <laughs> nowhere near as badly right enough anyway um so alex is your head of esg and eu advisory services at nsa capital in fact a uh, jeff so you invited Alex on to join us today, with good reason. Do you want to give us a bit of background, uh, yeah, lead us into that? Exactly. So um, I am part of a European project uh, called Smarter Finance for EU. And the purpose of the project is to uh, try and develop the market for credible, kind of verified green certifications for, for, for homes. Um, and linked to that... Uh, green finance, green mortgages, green development finance, uh, green green loans to to enable this kind of stuff to happen. Um, so there's a consortium. Um, we had our first meeting in Brussels um, in June. I felt like a real big boy going there and um, got all dressed up, had a wash, you know. And uh, at the at the kickoff meeting, I met for the first time Alex and Jabber, her colleague, and I was blown away by uh, just hearing them talk. And we'll have to have Jab on as well, actually, another time. I think it kind of makes sense to give you both 
separate soapboxes because you know what each of you have to say is so interesting so as soon as that happened i just thought well we have to have you on the podcast because uh the, your perspective is fascinating and your expertise in terms of understanding the lay of the land from a european perspective um from, an, from, like, from an eu perspective and from a finance perspective um at a moment when there seems to be this extraordinary transition happening from the kind of long history of kind of corporate bullshit um on sustainability towards what feels like something meaningful it feels like there's there's been i don't know whether it's kind of group think or herd mentality but it feels like something significant is happening i i don't want to get my hopes up you know and be and have them dashed so thank you so much for joining us i'm just i'm i'm delighted really excited to be collaborating with you on that project um but yeah delighted to have the chance to talk to you here as well today wonderful well it, thank you for the introduction and um it's it's yeah thank you for having me here i i very much i think that this is going to be super Super interesting in terms of discussion, and you and I Jeff already had uh, yeah multiple discussions within the EU project that we are part of. Um, yeah, super excited, just like you about about being part of Smarter for EU. I think it's a great initiative. I think it's exactly what the market needs, and there needs to be support in terms of you know defining what is green, what's not green when it, when when we're talking about the built environment, especially in the new constructions. Um, so a little bit about myself, uh, just to give you yeah, a bit of introduction of how I ended up working with NSA Capital. So I've been studying finance uh, a long, long time ago. It sounds like it, it feels like a century ago, but it's it's 20 years ago. I, I got myself a master degree, uh, yeah, bachelor degrees in finance. And then uh, I tried to kind of find my place a little bit, um, was not very uh, keen and I didn't feel that I'm a great fit with uh, working in corporate um, structures. I need a bit something that is a little bit, let's say, a bit more flexible and I think also more suitable for my own um, yeah, personality and things that I find that they're important. So then, <laughs> yeah, I moved a little bit from, uh, yeah, <laughs> that space in uh, into the sustainability space. And how I got there is that I really wanted to study something else uh, and put an extra layer on the, on the financial background that I had. And then I ended up studying uh, sustainability and international development uh, when it wasn't very cool <laughs> and it wasn't very interesting and for sure wasn't mainstream. So I'm, I'm happy to see that everybody's kind of in the same boat right now. And I feel like, yes, I'm ahead of the game because I actually know what's going on. <laughs> um, so I studied when, uh, you know, the um, yeah the sustainable, uh, we used to call them millennium development goals. They were not sustainable development goals at that point, uh, the ones that the UN developed. And then because we missed the millennium, then we switched them to a sustainable overall. Um, so for me, it was very important to actually try to find a connection between finance and having also uh, a different type of impact. Because I think everybody's aware, you know, finance is not charity. It needs to make money. But I think that the moment is there where finance and the way that we invest money needs to have a positive impact. So this is how I kind of got there. Worked a couple of years in London for a different company that is still part somehow of the cluster where I am currently, then moved to Luxembourg because Brexit uh, came in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think actually in London after Brexit, so things were a bit fuzzy transition-wise. Uh, transition so I decided, okay, maybe Luxembourg, going back to the continent, it's, it, it, it felt like yeah, a very logical move. And also because NSA started developing into this a little bit larger, a bit more inclusive. Uh, they were just mainly doing finance in sustainable energy uh, assets uh, under Chaba's, uh, you know, um, leadership. Uh, he's a former investment, bank, uh, investment banker. He's the CEO and the chairman. So, uh, but with my know-how and and he understanding the need and the importance of sustainability, we kind of merged forces and we brought this, uh, uh, yeah, under the big umbrella of of, of what we are doing at Save. And then, yeah, EU projects is something that I think that we also kind of got into because we feel that there is a bit of a lack of, uh, um, let's say, usage of the same language when we are talking about the different stakeholders on the market. Coming from a financing background, very often when we're talking to end clients or to project developers, you feel that there's 
miscommunication and translation is needed somehow. Uh, we all like to work in silos, so our IRR is very important, <laughs> you know, CapEx uh, and all those nice things that uh, that financiers look at, but very, uh, you know, credit profile. And from the other side, you have the project developer that talks a lot about technology and how cool it is, what they're doing and how they're going to achieve the savings. But then there's a discrepancy in terms of, okay, how do we actually move to the next step? And, and get these things financed. Um, so this is how we kind of got involved in EU projects because from, from this angle, then standardization for us is something that is very important and we understood very quickly that if you don't have a standardized approach, you're going to end up paying a lot more for all the type of services. So the quicker you can bundle, standardize, have the same type of contracts, say the same type of approach, processes to get more efficient, you don't need to pay that much. And the financiers can't actually say, well, we used, you know, 1,000 hours of legal. No, you didn't because you looked at the same contract, but just, you know, <laughs> let's say that the, 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 the monetary inf- input was different. So, but the contract was the same. So, so this is what we're trying to do. To do. So could this be, so the, the sorts of contracts and the sorts of uh, packaging of services that you're talking about here, this is like pairing finance with development. So be that a sustainable building or energy efficiency measures or sustainable or renewable energy exactly. uh, production or distribution. All of these projects need big money to make them happen. So you guys are the folks that are working in Europe to make it easier for, for like yeah. a man like Duncan up at River Clyde Homes, who is trying to instigate a massive heat pump district heating-based problem, taking uh, taking heat from the River Clyde and yeah. pumping it into the community, not just their own housing assets. So they would come to people like you to exactly. say, oh, how do we do this? Oh, Jesus, where do we get the money? Like that. Yeah, exactly. Because that is where they they get stuck. And, and the problem also in the market is that you have big big funds, right? And you have pension funds, you have big, big private equity funds, and also different EU pockets, let's call it like that, like the EIB, like the EEF, which is a, a backed uh, EU fund that does actually energy efficiency in the public space in their case. The problem is that they're expecting ticket size of 30 million and up. Very difficult to go into 50k project and say, well, this is what I have. Can, you, can I get finance? For that, you need to go at your own bank. But what we are trying to do is to kind of bundle this type of projects, aggregate them and reach that ticket size, get better conditions from financiers because you actually go with the product and you can put it on the table and say, okay, we have 5 million to 25 million of green mortgages right here that you can actually finance. We have 25 million in renewable energy in the UK or in, in Ireland, in, in Spain for and then investors look at this very differently because they actually can look at it and not say, yes, if it's an opportunity, it's great, but we can't engage because ticket size is too low. So this is this is where, the, where an investor has a great big pile of money that they need yeah. to euphemistically put to work. Yeah. And they can't be bothered with the admin of lots of small investments. So you bundle it all together to give uh-huh. them one big one, which, and by bundling them all together. So say... You invested in retrofit for all the housing associations within the British Isles. And you could bundle all of that work together and that would be like a billion dollar ticket. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and the reason why that is because the cost of due diligence. So when a financier is looking at the at the project, it's exactly the same if he looks at 25 million or if he looks at 50k. Okay. Yep. For the, the, the person that searches for finance, it, for him, the cost is very important. So all of a sudden, he needs to pay 100K in legal fees to be able to get 50K. It doesn't really make sense. And that's why. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we need good guys like you on the case doing these deals because the global financial crisis was caused by nefarious financiers bundling together shite mortgages with good yeah, ones. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the same sort of packages, but just shoveling slop into big tickets. And that's so what's, yeah. what's the opposite of subprime then? <clears throat> Sorry, what's the opposite of subprime? You know, um, kind of post prime or like something that's super prime. <laughs> well, well, you'd think you know? like super prime would be a man like Donald Trump. But on his current reading, <laughs> 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 the overvaluation of his assets. Oh, 
Anyway, sorry, we digress. That's really interesting. It is really heartening to hear some uh, that there are people doing this and specifically focusing on this rather than being part of a portfolio within an organization, which is this is just one of the things we do. Don't worry, we still invest in oil, tobacco, pornography and slavery. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, in relation to that. I think that the market is filtering itself a little bit and you're kind of putting those guys in, in, in a certain in a certain box because now with the new regulation, sustainable financial disclosure, funds actually need to disclose what type of assets they're investing in. So if it's Article 6, you're in that box. You invest in whatever, from weapons to you know, <laughs> oil exploitation and et cetera. But if you want to be perceived as uh, a fund that um, is either investing in sustainability or in ESG, assets compliant uh, compliant assets then you need to report under article 8 and 9 so all of a sudden you kind of get a bit of a very quick sense uh, of, of who you're talking to if you ask the question i i'm thinking um what about mixing the different things together so you know sustainable weapons I'm th- <laughs> there's um there's a john ronson there's a john ronson book called the men who stare at goats um which is uh, it's fascinating it's but it's based on um it's all uh, it's not it's a non-fiction book um and uh it it concerns very damaged people in the u.s military uh from vietnam um who uh went on the kind of 60s kind of voyage of self-discovery and took psychedelic drugs and had all the trauma from being in war um and rose to in some cases quite senior levels in the military and one of them came up with this manifesto for a new kind of warrior the warrior monk where uh you appear on the front line with a a lamb under one arm right Uh, a lamb in one arm a a bunch of flowers in the other arm and a speaker on your chest playing whale song to win over your opponent with superior (laughs) superior ideology so maybe that's maybe there's a market for for sustainable warfare you know uh but yeah no probably not um though alex the reason i uh, what i did want to say though is um just to it would be really useful to get a sense from you of what the drivers are whether they just apply in the EU or to what extent, because finance is international, to what extent, uh, bearing in mind a lot of our listeners will be UK-based, this uh, affects them there. And 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 whether you think that that we are actually seeing serious, credible change or not, or just more um, accountancy, sleight of hand and nonsense, you know? Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of <laughs> two or three four questions. Sorry. Yeah, I, uh, I do think so in terms of, you know, what we see concretely on the market maybe at the new level you know at the uk or also um also at the global level i think that the the movement it's it's clear there is serious interest i think the market is engaging is moving very quickly you, if you even if you look at the us you can see that i mean they're even moving at the quickest pace a little bit pace than the eu just because the traction of investments and it, it it works faster than than the eu in the eu clearly from top down you have all these directives that are coming in the energy performance building directive, the energy efficiency directive, still negotiating on, on the first one, but clearly the direction is clear. Something needs to be done. We need to have actions, concrete steps on how to do it and directives from top down to a member, member state uh, level so they can also move in the market. Then clearly I, I do think that, and I'm going to call them younger generation just because I don't feel that I'm part of it anymore, but I think that <laughs> yeah, the, 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 you know, the people that are under 30, I think that they are feeling the, the, the climate change very differently. If you look at teenagers, they also uh, seem to understand a bit more, be more self-aware and be more aware of the environment um, and the impact. And I know this also because, for example, I have friends that have already children that are quite, you know, in their 15, 16, and they're like, you need to do recycling, you need to separate the garbage. They are very, very aware of it. And then you have markets that are, let's say, environmentally, um, yeah, more aware and more active, like France. So in France, everything is, I mean, you can't go in the center in, in, in certain days with the car you have there. They, they have a very good system put in place. And, in the UK, to be honest, because we are part of, of uh, I, I know that from a political standpoint, now things are changing a little bit. There's a bit of a shift. Uh, uh, yeah, the discourse have changed a little bit. They don't want to, to you know, ruin their industry and their economy. And we get it. Uh, we hear the same type of speeches here in, in Europe from, from, from certain EU countries. But 
if we look at the market and we are part of different EU projects and even outside of them, we have quite a lot of structures. So we have lots of companies and lots of structures and organizations from the UK that reach out to us and say, okay, we need finance. Can you actually help us? This is what we want to do. And what we also found is that a lot of companies come and say that their end clients, the ones that they worked in the past, let's say, for example, they changed the lighting or they put the PV installation. They're coming back and say, okay, we need a roadmap to decarbonization. How do we get there? Because we don't know. And that's one of the lack of, of, of know-how on the market clearly is how do you get to this net zero, right? So what do you do first? Because it's not like, it, 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 it needs to have a very logical sequence. Um, there's no point to have a heat pump and, um, you know, solar panels on top if you don't have an insulated dwelling, because that means that everything is, you're losing a lot of what you're producing, right? So there are certain steps and there are a way that you, how you can get there. And we have the same type of questions also from real estate funds. So big guys have really big portfolios, have stranded assets. They don't know how to get there because clearly when they're going to want to flip their properties after seven years, when the fund comes closer to an end, and they need to kind of get the money back and be able to pay all the shareholders back. They don't want to lose the, the value of the property and then be in, in a situation where they can actually lose the valuation and the sale of the property. So from this point of view, we see quite a lot of, of yeah movement from the market, which in the last, let's say in 2019, wasn't like that. In 2019, we were picking up the phone. I was reaching out to clients and asking, okay, do you want, like, do you know, what you want to do in terms of sustainability? Are you aware that these are the new regulations that are going to come in? Do you want to do it? It's not the time yet. We're still waiting. Let's see how it's going to be in our country. Um, maybe there are some funds that are going to come from the EU because subsidies are nice to have. And sometimes mm -hmm. they distort the market a little bit because everybody's still waiting. Maybe I get my 5,000 or 50K grant. Uh, but now it's not about the grants anymore. Very different. So it's it's nice to see. So how prominent I'm, I'm particularly thinking about real estate investors i worked on a an investor deck for a european uh real estate investment firm the guys who did clearies in dublin jeff and oh, yeah. i remember doing their investor focused deck so them pitching for money you know they've got a bunch of different funds but doing all the same things as all the real estate investors do buy a big thing do it up fill it up knock it out to a pension fund yeah. and their esg creds because like I've been pushing it for the previous five years, ever since the ESG tsunami hit finance, or big, you could see the signs of it coming. And man, even then, even in 2020, this was the the, the first throes of COVID uh, when we were in the midst of the first lockdown. It was still of a 40-slide deck. It was a single slide, and it was still a bit noncommittal. You know, just throw in the SDG logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick in a bunch of the icons. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, that'll do. No one's interested. And the reason why is because the, the people to whom they're pitching, they don't care or they didn't care. And I think that's potentially the biggest distinction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for example, just to, 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 yeah, to come a bit and to complete what you're saying. Yes. I think that in a couple of years ago, this was a non-topic. You would mention it and everybody would think that you're talking about where peace and your, you know, the miss and the, thank you, miss USA. The approach is very different. And I'm just going to give you an example. MIPIM is one of the biggest fairs in, in, uh, in the real estate world. In Cannes, every day, uh, everybody, anybody who's anybody is there. Two years ago, uh, my colleague Chaba was there uh, with uh, with our team, and they weren't talking about ERG at all. Like, there was nothing. He was like, okay, they, they, just, they are just not getting it yet. Last year, when he was there, an entire floor was about ESG. Okay, so that's the change. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you had um, a lot of discourse about it. It's also because the regulation is kicking in, but also because financiers need to start reporting on it. So when the guy that gives you the money, and that includes banks as well, so banks are not outside of this. Everybody's under this reporting. The second that I need to report, then it's yeah. going to be important for you. And I think that this is where the shift is happening. It's just not one guy in one department in some company that thinks, ah, oh, okay, if I've studied sustainability, this is very important. No, it's the fact that a lot of the people in the daisy chain, now they need to be aware of it. They need to report. So then you need to be more aware of it. So yeah, yeah. I think that's the fundamental change. So issues of sustainability, be it carbon-based or energy-based or I don't know. 
No, it's only those two things really that matter. There is an S in ESG for social society, but that one's very easy to fudge. You don't necessarily, there's a lot of things you can do. You can have a cake sale and they tick, done. We gave <laughs> some money to an old people's home, tick, done. But the environmental stuff you can't get away from and the governance stuff you can't get away from. You know, you can get away with the S stuff because uh, DNI, diversity and inclusion, or DEI, diversity, equality and inclusion, they put those three letters into all sorts of different iterations. Yeah, gender equality. Yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly, if you know what the KPIs are, you can turn them around and make yourself look a little bit better than you actually are. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, look at the equality, the, the pay gap. Like, <laughs> like, like nothing's changed. Like literally nothing has changed for decades. And we've known about it for decades. So you can sack off the ass. Talk to yeah. City Council about that, Dan. Yeah. Fun- fundamentally, that's uh, the problem, isn't it? Is we, we keep thinking about how we can get away with things rather than actually trying to deal with the problems. And uh, luckily, there are a lot of people who are now thinking, no, we need to deal with it properly. But there are still too many people who are still thinking, how do we get away with this and i think that's going to be dogging us for a very long time and uh and it's going to cause a, a lot of delays when we're in a situation where we need to accelerate much faster well to jeff's point like equality is now a risk factor because mm-hmm. if you don't think about uh pay equality you're gonna go bankrupt because <laughs> someone gonna get you <laughs> that's how it works and the same with carbon like the the spectre of carbon pricing and the calamity that we'll see happen with uh, carbon offsetting when everyone realizes that's just a game. Yes. I mean, it, I, I think a lot of them already realized. I mean, uh, we had a few scandals here and there about uh, forests that were inexistent and they were offsetting carbon uh, in the backyard uh, with three trees. Uh, so uh, clearly, I think that what we need is a bit more transparency and also... I understand coming from this, from this, you know, from the background of sustainability and reporting, I understand that there is, it's, it's very overwhelming. Uh, and the different players on the market, may them be, you know, from the financial world to the project developer, they don't know where to start and they don't know what to do. So when we're talking about ESG, it's, there's a confusion completely when, like, what is ESG? I still have funds that they don't know what it is. Like, okay, they know what it stands for, ESG, it's good, it's environmental, social, and governance. But what does that mean for their own structure? And from this point of view, I mean, um, the EU is doing a good job lately because they're trying to kind of make a unified framework. The problem with ESG is that there's no methodology that is widely accepted. You have the grasp in the real estate portfolio that people kind of like. You have the GRI, you have the PRI, you can choose whatever you want. Because it's voluntary and because it was mandatory so far. Now, with the EU's coming, they put down a platform and they said, and a framework, and they said, this is what you need to report on. This is your S, this is your E, this is your G. These are the KPIs. These are the ones that are mandatory. And that is going to make it a lot easier for different stakeholders and players not to dodge the bullet because or not to make themselves in something that they are not. And I think that what is very important when we're talking about ESG and sustainability is that we don't need to be perfect. It's it's not about that. It's not about lying here. It's about setting very, very concrete, realistic targets for yourself. It's not about saying, well, I'm going to say by 2050, net zero. No, that's, forget about yeah. it. I, I don't think we can do that because we're going to rent an office. How can I prove that my office is going to be net zero? But what I can do is to ensure that I have a path. And I'm saying, okay, until 2030, we are not going to travel with anything else than an electric car that is always going to make sure that it's powered by green energy. If it's beyond a certain, let's say, area of kilometers, if we fly, we need to pay offsetting carbon tax. Or we go with those companies that we know that they are using biofuels. So there are ways we don't need to be absurd in what we are promising. And I think that accusations of greenwashing and social washing, they come from here. This over-absurd uh, statements that in the end, they're going to bite you because you need to be realistic. What can you do in your business to make sure that you reach that target? How can you have a positive impact and decrease your footprint with each year? That's it. That's the one that is important. Yeah, yeah, I think I th- um, I'm always saying, I probably said this in the podcast a few times before, but I love uh, as a way of exposing this. Uh, I heard somebody talking about the concept of net zero murders, um, whereby you, uh, you for every person that you murder, you go and conceive someone else, you know, and therefore the two balance each other out. So it's, 
it's about credibility, isn't it? We need credible, uh, credible targets uh, that people understand. You know, well, as well, the issue is the targets of today aren't going to be viable in ten years' time exactly. because the whole world will have changed by then again. And so we did a, a big uh, ESG positioning pod project for a, a large international, like a transatlantic asset manager, and it was fascinating because. They would invest in anything. They had portfolio managers, were, had the permission, you know, apart from uh, slavery. And yeah, the, the bad, bad, bad ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, slavery, arms and pornography, I think, were the only exclusions. But they recognized this. And because they weren't imposing top-down, they couldn't impose heavy-duty targets. And so what we worked out with them was they would need to come up with their own targets and the only way they could make it credible was by reporting on them, guaranteeing how they were going to report on them and to report their failures yeah. because they were definitely going to fail on some of them because we can't all succeed all the time and reporting on what they learned from those failures in exactly the same way they would do internally as regards their investment processes, the checks and balances, the due diligence that they perform as, as a, a primary function of their investment activity. Apply that to this environment, social and governance framework and develop your own methodology to to focus on the impact you're having and quantify or qualify or uh, devise metrics that make it meaningful rather than ESG being just some woke smoke screen to make investment firms feel better. And when I say woke smoke screen, I am not decrying woke. I'm just making reference to the way ESG investing has been framed in certain parts of America. To the point where I think in Florida, it, oh, yeah. ESG investing has been banned as a principle, like outlawed, which is absurd because ESG investing, certainly in terms of the environment, is a, a risk management issue, especially in a place like Florida where sea levels are rising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, exactly. ESG it is a risk mechanism. So it's a risk assessment uh, tool. You need to know where you are and you need to know where you're going. I mean, and just like it's just, like both of you actually said, I mean, it is about making it yours. It's yeah. about accountability and saying, okay, this is what realistically we think we can do. Let's revisit this because you need to revisit it either way. It's every other year, if not every year, to see where you are. And then you can just simply progress at your own pace. You will progress. The market is going to drag you with it. I mean, the market is changing. Look at the IE, look at everything that is coming. Look at the way that we're living, the way that we're interacting, the way that we're working. Three years ago, this was not the case. I mean, before COVID hit, you were in the office, suit and tie, uh, all day long. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> meetings face-to-face, um, it's been two years since we actually at NSA managed to have a face-to-face meeting after COVID because everything moved online. You have massive buildings here that are stranded in terms of offices that nobody goes to, or they have this two or three days at work and then two days from home. So the, yeah, the, the, the world has changed and, and yeah. they need to be able to change with it. Well, shall we talk about that a bit? I think... This is the bit where my eyes lit up when we were speaking in our preparatory conversation, where you started talking about buildings as stranded assets. Yes. Because, like, I've been, Jeff told me to stop saying this because I said it too much on the podcast. But, like, the only way I can see change being precipitated is by people seeing the value of their, their building assets at risk. And what you described is what you described when we spoke. Was that you are actually seeing this, and you are seeing how the yes. the, the specter of carbon pricing it is coming. So everyone yes. better check. Exactly. Yeah. So what we're seeing right now is so it's kind of two threefolded. So you have the European trading uh, emission trading scheme, which was one step where you would have you know airplanes, uh, aviation, maritime, and, and all this. Let's say. CO2 intensive industries that are the biggest polluters that they need to pay for extra carbon in case they use the quota and the quota goes lower every year that is allocated. Now what the EU has developed is the ETS2, which is actually tackling the building built environment and the car industry. Now that's one because it comes from, from an EU level. So it's about fossil fuel usage in buildings, new and old environment. So it's like, what do you do with that? That's one type. 
And then the second one that we are seeing from the market is that different companies and different real estate portfolio managers uh, and also consultancies. And I think everybody that is in this space, including from a sustainability perspective, you're trying to put the price on the, their asset in terms of CO2 footprint in the sense that if, for example, if they don't want to do absolutely anything and they're having a building and they want to leave it as it is, what does that entail in terms of cost for them per, per square meter? And there are already you know, numbers out there, eight euro we heard per square meter each, um, each year in terms of footprint that they have because they're losing money just because that asset is not going to be evaluated at, evaluated at the same uh, yeah at the same value is going to lose so either they invest and they move with the market or they need to get out of it it's there's not an option so the carbon intensity of the building asset is going to be taxed yeah like in the equivalent to like a land tax yeah but it, like a, a carbon tax and like you, you cannot escape this yeah, so you can't escape. See, this is something that the EU wants to do. They are just trying to navigate a bit this space. Clearly, it's, uh, there's going to be a lot of pushback. Let's be serious. So that's going to happen. Let's see yep. where, where we get it. But yeah, this would be the the final result. It's it's that. Alex, do you know if that uh, is specifically talking about operational energy use or if it also takes account of uh, of embodied carbon in, in terms of how the buildings are built? So it's it's everything. So it's including the, the, let's say, the built part of it. It's not only the energy intensive of, of uh, they, yeah. And this is why it's such a heavy lift because they need to understand a bit how to go around it. Just because the problem on the ground is that the built environment is very different in every country, right? So you, we come with different heritages. <laughs> yeah, it's like Italy doesn't want to touch anything because everything is UNESCO patrimony and it's uh, Renaissance, fantastic, fantastic. They don't want to touch it, and it's okay. We get it. But they'll need to still do something and bring them in the 21st century. You know, countries like many Poland, Hungary, we have a very good communist past and we come with these bricks, fantastic buildings that are having, you know, five meters of, of walls in between. Very good isolation, I must say, but insulation and isolation in between uh, in terms of noise. But yeah, <laughs> difficult, <laughs> difficult to upgrade just because you're like massive buildings. So the landscape at the new level is very different. They will need to try to find ways of how to quantify that and then put it on top of each uh, each building. This is why they want to create database databases. They want to start having this reporting coming from all sides just to be able to kind of create the benchmarks and say, okay, this is where we are. This is how much it's going to cost. This is how much you need to pay unless you start doing something. And it's why standardization is going to start to, be, to to become so critical, because I know if you look at embodied carbon, for instance, it's a bit like the Wild West at the moment. And you get people who are starting to use the, 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 the life cycle assessment calculation tools, and you get all sorts of magical thinking happening. You get people, for instance, going around claiming that by building, uh, I've, I'm, an advocate of timber use in buildings with caveats on it. Um, you know, uh, you get architects, for instance, presenting um, on a mass timber building where they've thrown as much timber as possible at a building without questioning whether it needed that much material of any kind, you know, um, in the first instance, and claiming because of all the stored CO2 in the timber from when it was a tree, from from the sequestered CO2, that it's a carbon negative building. That, that, uh, that in other words, that, <laughs> that, that the more of these buildings we build, uh, the more we'll be doing to solve the climate change. Let's deforest our way to save the world, basically. You know, so yeah. the, you get all these kind of perverse outcomes, which is why the quicker we get to a coalescing around uh, agreed, tightly defined rules on how these things have to be done. You know, and I, I mean, I don't know how much how much of that in the finance world is. You know, are we? Is there is there scope for that kind of um, uh, magical thinking and uh, and marketing spin to kind of pull the wool over some of the funds' eyes, for instance, now or investors' eyes, um, and lead them to the wrong kind of conclusions? Do you think, or 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 not? So it can happen. That's the reality. It can happen just because there's a lack of know-how on the market. So let's be serious. ESG and sustainability is something that is quite new in terms of of, of topic. It became of, of great importance in the last couple of years, but nobody was talking about 20 years ago. So when you see companies that are claiming, we have been in the sustainability world for 40 years. It's like somebody claiming that they've been doing, I don't know, uh, IT since uh, the 15th century. So one needs to have uh, this filtering and say, okay, Everything with a pinch of salt. I think that there are out there a few very good specialists on this that 
have dedicated enormous time in research to this topic that are doing it in the proper way. And then you have, I think, companies that, you know, um, they're opportunistic and it's normal. I mean, they're, they want to make a profit, that they are jumping in on this topic. And we need to be able to filter a little bit. I know that in general, funds like the big names because it's comfortable and because you can sue them, you know, in case. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good, uh, good thing right there is the liability is... Uh, it's it's a risk and, uh, and you, you can trust them to come up with the numbers you want as well we need yeah. only look at uh people like uh greensill <laughs> the, the recent hilarious controversy that, that went belly up one of david cameron's uh post prime ministerial foibles yes <laughs> exactly so i mean it it can it can happen but I think that in the financial world, this starts to be something that is more and more important. We, they just need to start try, filtering and finding proper suppliers out there that can provide this type of assessment. At the same time, because we don't have yet the database and everything that has to do with capturing and being very accurate with what we say, we need to actually report and say or communicate when we are very sure of. So not make claims that, uh, you know, a building is absolutely neutral because, uh, you know, if somebody's going to take you down to your sub-supplier and sub-supplier chain, you might be not so carbon neutral. It it depends on the granularity that you want to go into. So it, it's, it's a very complex field. This is why frameworks and I think agreed standards are a must. Even if we're talking about the EPC, the Energy Performance Certificate, every country is completely different. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, we don't, the, they're, they're all different, except that for one very clear similarity, they're all shite. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that, yeah, that's full agreement. I think uh, everybody on the table would agree with that. Just because I mean, I know the way that I got it at home. I mean, the guy called me and said, "Okay, give me the square meters." Uh, and then in five minutes, I had my EPC. I was like, is this a joke? I thought he was fake. <laughs> like, seriously, I really thought that I got that I paid for some money that he was a fraud. And then I, I realized, no, this is how we do it, at least in Romania, you know. I, I sold uh, the, the flat we lived in last year, and the guy who did our EPC was the estate agent's photographer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and- and clearly, and a lot of like banks and financiers are actually relying on this as a tool. So we need to kind of step it up. This is why you have funds, for example, that go to this like higher level certifications, BREAM, and then because they understood, okay, we need to kind of make sure that we go to people that know what they're talking about and we don't overclaim and we don't want to be accused of greenwashing. So sometimes they don't even say anything because of fear of. You know, green hushing, how like this new term that you don't say anything that you're doing. You just like you lay low and you pray to God, nobody sees you. And then you, because like you do green and you know that it's green for yourself and for your heart, but you don't say anything. It's like undercover green, like good. And that's, you're happy with that. And, 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 and we see that also on the market. There's, there's, there's a little bit of a fear just because they really don't understand the space. They don't know who they can trust. They don't know what certification is out there. I was very surprised because um, I was last week in, in Spain and I was very surprised to see how many people are interested in that. We, we, I spoke at the conference, uh, 100 people came, you know, showed up. It, it, it's again about the energy transition in the built environment. A lot of project developers out there that they really want to have a positive impact. Uh, lots of funds that were present that wanted, uh, and banks that wanted to see, okay, so what's out there? How can we do it? How can we report? How can we come together? How can we make sure that everybody's, um, you know, safe from this point of view, that we're doing the right thing, but that also we can report on this in, in a proper manner and not get stranded in, in, in different directions and in different parts. And um, yeah, so uh, very interesting to see and very interesting to see the, yeah, the real shift on the market and the passion about it. There were architects there. There were students that came just to hear about what's going on. Um, clearly, again, as I mentioned, you know, younger generation are a bit more involved, a bit more hands-on. They want to see what's what's uh, there. And also nice to see from project developers, the way that they conceive this new space is it's very, very different from, uh, from a couple of years ago. Maybe we talk about a building that, let's say it was office building, and then they are just completely redoing it into this, you know, I think what I 
could only think about when I was younger, like utopian building, you know, where you have everything included that you could dream about and you can interact and socialize and make friends and work and uh, have this, uh, you know, very interesting space, which is completely, uh, you know, green. And you have, you have the feeling that you're, you're part of something that is bigger than you, because I think all of us, we want to be part of something, you know, we're craving to be part of something bigger than us. And you see the space is being created and it's very, very interesting how the project developers are communicated with the, communicating with the, the future residential, residential, um, you know, uh, stakeholders, they want to understand what would they dream about? What do they want? Uh, share cars. Apparently it's a big thing just because, um, under 25, apparently, driving license is not a must. So they have this, um, you know, sharing vehicles in the underground of the parkings, and they are just, uh, you know, um, providing this service for them. So it's it's just very interesting to see. Then, yeah, this evolution in the the sorts of developments that are being created. Now, so you described a, a curious evolution being like a, a sort of mixed use building where people have socializing amenities within alongside accommodation to make it affordable now that is that because they can't afford to buy property anymore or is that because think, that's what they do culturally i think it's a mix i think in some countries it's also because they can't afford it or let's say historically they could not afford it so you have countries like you know italy spain and even and even yeah, Italy, Spain, predominantly, they, they like to live long with their parents. They used to do that just because, yeah, prices were very, very high. They could not afford to, to buy their own property. And then this is a very good alternative. Switzerland as well. I mean, uh, what we're hearing from the Swiss market is as well that this cool co living spaces is it's something that the, the, the market is very interested uh, in just because, again, to buy something for the three million uh, Swisses, it's uh, it's quite tall order for somebody this thirty. So, uh, and or twenty five that they still want to, you know, they're students. They want to enjoy life. They want to do different things. They want to. They're very dynamic. They're very interested in different topics. I mean, uh, they, they can have you know artistic, uh, let's say, uh, inclinations. So then you can organize different exhibitions. The if you can create hubs for them where they can exchange experience. They. Mm. I think it's also a very good support system, um, socially speaking. And then you have countries, for example, like Romania, where because of, of our past, ownership is very important. So everybody needs to own their own property. That's what we do. It's like you get born, you get the flat. That's number one target right there. And then you can get married and everything else. But that's the, it, it, it's, it's a little bit also, I think, uh, heritage, um, but also the way where the market is going. So it's, I think it's a mix. And like this, they can actually enjoy a space which is very dynamic and, um, yeah, uh, and enjoy the benefits of, uh, of a green building attached with, with this new, new way of, um, yeah, of, of living in the end of the day. I have a bit of an unease in me about co-living as a concept. Um, I, I uh, Co-housing, I'd be all in favor of. Um, and it's a concept that I haven't seen being applied anywhere near enough. But co-living, is the, the market is increasingly turning to co-living here, which I see as, I, I'm, I, it can work. And I've seen some schemes that look interesting. But um, uh, with co-housing, where you have communities come together and develop their own schemes um, and work out you know what what they're and take the developers profit out of the equation effectively as, as a consequence of that and they're invested in creating the kind of community that they want that looks to me really interesting that looks at the bow group and models in germany for instance i think really positive in that regard but with co-living the fear i have is that we're seeing a lot of um in ireland developers looking to get a higher yield start looking to make projects stack up and having you know, uh, kind of rabbit hutches, um, with, uh, with, uh, communal kitchens, um, and, um, uh, small one beds basically, um, that are only really fit for one kind of user, perhaps, you know? So, uh, maybe there are different conceptions of co-living in different, in different parts of the world, you know? That's, that's because obviously they're not doing their user research, Jeff, and, uh, they're also doing it for all the wrong reasons. They're clearly not doing it for the, the purpose of co-living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think I think it's co-living is a is a really really good approach. I know we're, we've often said that's how people used to live before, and it's a great way to support your family. It ha- obviously, it would help for uh, reducing stress on the well, the, the NHS in the UK and and other health uh, health systems in other countries. 
But if you've got a developer coming in and his sole uh, purpose is to generate profit, they are not going to build something that has the users in mind. And that is always going to be a problem. So until that dynamic is, is broken or shifted, there's no point in trying to do that sort of approach. The good part about where we are today is that product developers start to really engage with the users. Okay. So it's, it's, they don't develop it anymore in a bubble because they are not going to place the asset. This is why you had in the middle of the, of Paris, we have one fund that invested, they have a building 135 million BREAM compliance certified everything and it's completely empty because they didn't make any assessment before. So they're waking up. That's. That's where the market is going. So every player now, they really look at what is the market where we are active actually looking at. France is different from Spain, is different from Ireland, is different from UK, is different from Germany, is different from Central Eastern Europe. So we are all different and one needs to make an assessment of where you're going and what you want to do and what does the market and the user want in the end of the day. Absolutely. I point out to make this relevant to our Irish viewers and many people around Europe may be included with this. Have any of you heard of the, the ghost estates of Ireland's recent past? We had these uh, tax incentive schemes during the Celtic Tiger years, uh, which in, which enabled people to invest in second homes and write off a tax against, oh God, uh, against you. I, I can't remember the specifics of how it worked, but what it led to was an awful lot of housing estates being built in the middle of nowhere, like fucking bogland in some cases, with no amenities around them. Um, no schools, no, no, no businesses around them, nothing miles away and, and very car dependent. And you people investing in these homes thinking, you know, um, watching the asset value increase, uh, while the economy <laughs> was, was booming and thinking, great, thinking, I don't need to get tenants for this because, you know, uh, tenants are messy and hassle and I'm doing well enough anyway out of it. So, you, and you end up then when the music stops with this enormous uh, glut of, uh, shittily built, because uh, they're knocked up in a, you know, uh, in in a rush. Um, uh, completely useless housing in the middle of nowhere, um, uh, and it became a kind of a a massive kind of anvil, you know, or whatever ball and chain attached attached to our to our country. So that whole, you know, actual consider people talk about supply and demand in, in economics. You know, where's need in the equation? Where's consideration of actual need and 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 uh, and engagement with with people to understand to understand? It's positive, Alex. Though, if you're saying that you're seeing signs of it changing, you know, Jeff, I think- are, you, are you talking about ghost estates because you've got a happy Halloween banner behind you? <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty scary, in fairness. Uh, the ones that are still there, yeah. Um, well, uh, just young kids. Yeah, it it, it feels like. It feels like we are currently being haunted by uh, the the spectre of the avuncular podcast grandfathers, Bill Bordras and Adrian Lehman here, in terms of the way they their research in the nineties predicted the work the shift to work from home because the technology was already in place there. There was no reason to be warehousing workers in office spaces in cities. That was something that was set up to protect asset values and pension fund pots. Then, similarly, they had advocated for, or I think in the first their first appearance on the podcast, we spoke about how buildings shouldn't be built for a single use because if we know anything about buildings, it's that their, cha- their use changes over time. You know, you look at all the conversions. You drive through, in fact, I was going to say, you drive through Manchester and you look at all the warehouse conversions, but you don't. They all they knocked them all down. You look at a handful of warehouse conversions. <laughs> I'm thinking of Manchester 20 years ago. <laughs> um like we know everything changes and its use changes. And the last part is if people are able to, or rather, if people are able to develop multi-purpose spaces, they reduce the risk to the assets value because you know it's going to be modifiable, adaptable. And if you're trying to think about uh, accommodating whatever ESG and carbon frameworks are going to be imposed on us in the future, we need to start investing more in post-occupancy evaluation from the start. And the critical thing here is, is that, um, and I think this is really fascinating, uh, and the methodology that they've developed kind of accommodates this. It's very easy when you let the building uh, physics nerds and so on, and I count myself as kind of a, uh, I don't know, a, a miserable attempt at kind of engaging with, you know, as being part of their club too, Um you can get very focused just on uh, the stuff that comes out of a, a sensor and a data logger. And that's important, really important. We need to know that. 
But what Bill and Adrian have also done, which is critical um, and speaks to these broad, broader points, is the qualitative stuff where they're talking to building users and finding out, uh, you know, does it meet their needs? Finding out what their needs are and uh, and 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 you know, trying to think about that whole process and how that feeds into into the end product that you produce for them. You know, exactly. No, I mean, this is also something that I think it's new, and we, we're also seeing from from a lot of the of the ones that we know on the market in terms of project developers, they do engage with their consumers even post whatever, you know, should they acquire the asset or or should they rent it? They do engage on a, on a, let's say, regular basis because they do want to understand if something really did, let's say, deliver according to expectations or not. Should they use the same type of um, insulation, the same type of, uh, you know, whatever, heat pump? Is it as good, as good as they think that it is? Because clearly technology is changing and they need to change technology as well because it is changing at a very, very big, uh, pace. So then they need to have this relationship with the with the residents. It's not anymore, you know, <laughs> here's your glass of water. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That's that's your exit. Run back and whatever. No, it's 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 a relationship. And I mean I, I would say that it's kind of sorry for cutting you off, but um I would say that uh this is about reducing callbacks as well. It's you know, in other words, if, if you engage with this stuff and you do this research properly, you can end up with happier end users uh, and you can, and you can actually, if your inclination is to cut and run, you're going to be able to do that more quickly and more easily because you, because it works, you know? If the value of the asset is outcome based, not in terms of like, uh, four walls, a door, a roof, if it's like building performance, you need to monitor that. And if you focus on building performance, like, you know, you know what the outcome is. And so that's the goal rather than just knocking it out and making some money. Immediately the build quality gets better at the start of the job so you build to a higher standard using the same labor manpower expertise up front and you have less snagging we're actually going to be talking about this with a a, a client <laughs> in an hour jeff half, um, an hour, yeah. half an hour oh bloody hell yeah yeah that's just to yeah for example we see now in the market the as a service concept that is spreading absolutely everywhere from buying clothes to uh you know installing your fit pump yep that links you to the hip. You have a long-term relationship with that uh, end client. This is not a touch and go. This is not like, here's your uh, potato and uh, see you next week. If I see you, if I don't, I don't care. This is a long-term relationship. And I think that, yeah, you can, see, you can see that the market is changing from this point of view. And then there's a different type of responsibility and you take your work differently when you know that you're going to meet this person one more time in your life, at least. Yeah, yeah talk to them and you need to deliver to them they need to be happy and you need to be happy as well and i think it's also responsibility on the user side because they need to for example pay for as a service on a monthly basis then so they need to be satisfied and then you need to be remunerated so it's it's a relationship it's not anymore one you need a performance guarantee baked into that though like in the uk in particular we're used to our services underperforming then being made to eat shit as a consequence if you look up <laughs> or swim been shit sorry uh literally yeah yeah, exactly. yeah i mean there was the case of eating horse for a while which i have no problem with eating horse i think they're sneaky pricks anyway uh and they're very tasty you think uh, horses are sneaky pricks yeah they are sneaky pricks have you ever been on the back of a horse jeff yes yeah uh yeah sneaky pricks yeah <laughs> okay fair enough dan where were we i didn't derail that i just used an unusual uh, reference point. Yeah. <laughs> they need to perform and guarantee the performance. That's it. <laughs> yeah, without that, we are all at risk. That was it. Swimming in shite. Yeah. <laughs> the prospect of all these things as a service, like I'm always anxious about it because so the as a service business model comes from the dominance of the tech related industries, whether they are tech or not. And they've got used to rentier landscapes where they shovel slop at us so you look at the quality of google now you look at the quality of a thing like facebook if anyone still uses it twitter <laughs> did you see they took the the headlines away from links so <laughs> that's like for for a microblogging news related site to be unusable in terms of blogging about the news it's <laughs> it is quite remarkable yeah, without the regulatory frameworks to back people, to force them to perform, like we are on a, a hide into to nothing. But that yeah. is, that's ever, forever been the risk. 
Yeah, and I think that's a contractual, uh, let's say, hiccup that one can really make it tight. I mean, uh, we've been working on a different EU project on this particular topic just to make something that is standardized the contract on as a service. And one of the clauses is uh, you don't deliver, you don't get paid, and the end client keeps the assets. So you need to perform, okay? Oh. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, and we're working on a project. We'll have to talk to you about that separately, Alex. We, we have a client in that regard too. Um, but I think the thing that excites me most about this, all of my objections to this kind of thing, and, and I can see it potentially working, even if it's kind of private sector. Uh, but the thing that really excites me most uh, about this is the community-led, the idea of community-led uh, yeah. companies, you know? So, uh, you know, who, who could object to uh, profits being made by an entity like that if the, if the profits are being recycled back into the community anyway? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that there are models out there that they can, uh, that at least one can give them a goal and see which fails and which work. Again, it, I think it depends a lot on the quality of the people that are involved. Yeah. And I think in the tech side, I think that the big guys are very comfortable because there's no <laughs> alternative. You know, I mean, if there are three guys on the in the parking lot, who can yeah. you pick? If it's not me, it's uh, it's the other Alex. If it's not Alex, it's Jeff. I mean, come on, we are the yeah. guys. There's nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so aware that we've probably gone over an hour now, we should wrap up. There's two last things. Have you got anything to plug? And the other thing, which is sort of semi-related, what sort of organizations are you working with? Because we we know we have a, a we have an audience, a lot of people who are going to be interested in the sorts of things that you are doing. So yeah. An idea for who you work with would be really helpful. So, I mean, in, in our case, it's super easy just because we are placing ourselves a little bit of, as a facilitator in, in, in many aspects. Um, we're working with project developers. We're working with uh, consultancy services providers, but mainly project developers and um, making the liaison to the financing world. And also end clients. We've been surprised lately how many companies they came directly to us and said, okay, we need a solution either one-stop shop or something than just to get us out of the situation. And we have the volume, so we just need support. So I think it's kind of the entire spectrum of the market when we're talking about, you know, energy efficiency and, and renewable in this space. It's, it's yeah, it's basically everybody. Because I think it's such, it is, it's an ecosystem. It's a heavy lift on everybody. This is not the one-man show, you know, like we need to work together. And I think that, yeah, for us, um, that's what we've been seeing on the market. And in terms of, you know, let's say end clients or project developers, I mean, end clients that can be from real estate funds to your little small uh, bakery around the corner. It's just, it's such a big um, spread that needs support. So, yeah. So you can be, you can be found at nsaofcapital.com. Is that right? Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> Let me have a look. NSAvecap.com. Uh, the, the links will be in the show notes. Are you are you going to be speaking around Europe or are you doing anything, webinars yes. that you want to plug? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I'm going to personally be speaking in, in Enlit in Paris in end of November on sustainability and different financial uh, schemes and innovative ways of financing and introducing finance in this uh, particular area. Uh, so that is where I'm going to speak next. Um, don't have anything so far penciled in for anything else, but uh, that one is already confirmed. So Paris and we should we should plug the fact as well uh, that through the Smarter Finance for EU project, we are we'll be looking to reach out to you know to banks to to the finance industry generally, um, to municipalities, uh, to to, uh, to to try and see, seek their involvement in developing tailored green finance uh uh for credible verified green green homes you know yeah. yeah and not only that but actually provide them with the support because the banking industry are a little bit behind uh the way so funds they already moved a couple of years ago banks have our institutions they are a bit more robust they're a bit more bureaucratic they're you know the last guys <laughs> in the the way and it's normal i mean that it, it's it's historical this is how it's it has been in the past, so we wouldn't expect anything different. So now they're also coming in. And I think that in the cases of a lot of green building uh, councils, it may be in, in Mania, Ireland, uh, Spain, Portugal, and everywhere, um, there is a need. And I think that there is a demand from the banking side 
okay, so how do we do this? How do we certify that this is a green, uh, green mortgage? How do we certify um, a green asset? Is it EU taxonomy aligned? That's again a big, uh, big, uh, <laughs> <laughs> big focus of this project here, yeah, which is great. And that's one of the things that's fascinating about the project is that we have that ability to uh, to herd the cats in this space and make it in more investable. You know. Um, yeah. All right. Um, before we open up another can of worms, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we will have you back to talk about the smarter project. And it sounds like you've got a lot to say. So uh, I would be delighted to have you back to talk about this stuff. And we'll be talking anyway about other things. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. It's been super, super uh, yeah, interesting. And um, I, I love to see people that are passionate about this and that they're super active in this space. So thank you very much for having me. And I hope that, yeah, we're going to speak soon um, here or yeah, in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, all right. Well, thank you for joining us uh, at home or at work or in your car or wherever you happen to be. We got, all right, so the plugs, join ACAN, join the ACB, join the IGBC, women, Alex, check her own space. There is a podcast episode about that, we'll tell you, um, off off air, we don't need to go into it all again. Please review the podcast, five stars, nothing else will do, we are uh, needy and vain, and it is the only thing the algorithm recognises. If you can write a review, that would be appreciated, apparently that helps, and it's useful to find things out. We know it's long. I'm sorry. We can't do these conversations much shorter. What else? Talk to us about the the work that we do. So we are active in working with businesses to articulate what they are doing in terms of ESG strategy as ourselves in the same way that uh, Alex is on the finance and more regulatory focused side. So if you need to talk to any of us, holler. Anything else, Jeff? No, it's fine. I've got a leg it now, so just shut up. Yep. Cool. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Thanks.